Greetings, Detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company in our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Welcome to Calm Mystery. This installment, The Scarlet Thread, by Jacques Futrell. Chapter 6, read by Perry F. Bruns. Then came a fierce, hard fight for possession of the revolver. It ended with the weapon in Hatch's hand and both he and Cabell blowing from the effort they had expended. Jean, the valet, had turned at the sound of the shot and started toward the door leading into the hall. The thinking machine had stepped in front of him, and now stood there with his back to the door. Physically, he would have been a child in the hands of the valet, yet there was a look in his eyes which stopped him. "'Now, Mr. Hatch,' said the scientist quietly, a touch of irony in his voice. "'Hand me the revolver.' Then phone for Detective Mallory to come here immediately. Tell him we have a murderer. 
And if he can't come at once, get some other detective whom you know. Murderer! gasped Cabell. Uncontrollable rage was blazing in the eyes of the valet, and he made as if to throw the thinking machine aside despite the revolver when Hatch was at the telephone. As Jean started forward, however, Cabell stopped him with a quick, stern gesture. Suddenly, the young Southerner turned on the thinking machine. But it was with a question. "'What does it all mean?' he asked, bewildered. "'It means that that man there,' and the thinking machine indicated the valet by a nod of his head, "'is a murderer. That he killed Louise Renier, that he shot Weldon Henley on Boston Common, and that, with the aid of Miss Renier, he had four times previously attempted to kill Mr. Henley. Is he coming, Mr. Hatch?' "'Yes.' was the reply. He says he'll be here directly. Do you deny it? demanded the thinking machine of the valet. I've done nothing, said the valet suddenly. I'm going out of here. Like an infuriated animal, he rushed forward. Hatch and Cabell seized him and bore him to the floor. There, after a frantic struggle, he was bound, and the other three men sat down to wait for Detective Mallory. Cabell sank back in his chair with a perplexed frown on his face. From time to time he glanced at Jean. The flush of anger which had been on the valet's face was gone now. Instead, there was the pallor of fear. "'Won't you tell us?' pleaded Cabell impatiently. "'When Detective Mallory comes and takes his prisoner,' said the thinking machine." Ten minutes later, they heard a quick step in the hall outside, and Hatch opened the door. Detective Mallory entered and looked from one to another inquiringly. "'There's your prisoner, Mr. Mallory,' said the scientist coldly. "'I charge him with the murder of Miss Renier, whom you were so confident committed suicide. I charge him with five attempts on the life of Weldon Henley, four times by gas poisoning in which Miss Renier was his accomplice, and once by shooting.' He is the man who shot Mr. Henley. The thinking machine arose and walked over to the prostrate man, handing the revolver to Hatch. He glared down at Jean fiercely. Will you tell how you did it, or shall I? he demanded. His answer was a sullen, defiant glare. He turned and picked up the square mirror which the valet had produced previously. That's where the screw was, isn't it? he asked, as he indicated a small hole in the frame of the mirror. Jean stared at it, and his head sank forward hopelessly. "'And this is the bathrobe you wore, isn't it?' he demanded again, and from the suitcase he pulled out the garment with a scarlet stripe. "'I guess you got me all right,' was the sullen reply. "'It might be better for you if you told the story, then?' suggested the thinking machine. "'You know so much about it. Tell it yourself.' "'Very well,' was the calm rejoinder. "'I will. If I make any mistake, you will correct me.' For a long time no one spoke. The thinking machine had dropped back into a chair and was staring through his thick glasses at the ceiling. His fingertips were pressed tightly together. At last he began. 
There are certain trivial gaps which only the imagination can supply until the matter is gone into more fully. I should have supplied these myself, but the arrest of this man, Jean, was precipitated by the attempted hurried departure of Mr. Cabell for the South tonight, and I did not have time to go into the case to the fullest extent. Thus we begin with the fact that there were several clever attempts made to murder Mr. Henley. This was by putting out the gas which he habitually left burning in his room. It happened four times in all, thus proving that it was an attempt to kill him. If it had been only once, it might have been accident. Even twice it might have been accident. But the same accident does not happen four times at the same time of night. Mr. Henley finally grew to regard the strange extinguishing of the gas as an effort to kill him, and carefully locked and barred his door and windows each night. He believed that someone came into his apartments and put out the light, leaving the gas flow. This, of course, was not true. Yet the gas was put out. How? My first idea, a natural one, was that it was turned off for an instant at the meter. When the light would go out, then turned on again. This, I convinced myself, was not true. Therefore, still the question, how? It is a fact. I don't know how widely known it is, but it is a fact that every gaslight in this house might be extinguished at the same time from this room without leaving it. How? Simply by removing the gas jet tip and blowing into the gas pipe. It would not leave a jet in the building burning. It is due to the fact that the lung power is greater than the pressure of the gas in the pipes and forces it out. Thus we have the method employed to extinguish the light in Mr. Henley's rooms, and all the barred and locked doors and windows would not stop it. At the same time it threatened the life of every other person in the house. That is, every other person who used gas. It was probably for this reason that the attempt was always made late at night. I should say three or four o'clock. That's when it was done, isn't it? he asked suddenly of the valet. Staring at the thinking machine in open-mouthed astonishment, the valet nodded his acquiescence before he was fully aware of it. Yes, that's right, the thinking machine resumed complacently. This was easily found out, comparatively. The next question was how was a watch kept on Mr. Henley? It would have done no good to extinguish the gas before he was asleep, or to have turned it on when he was not in his rooms. It might have led to a speedy discovery of just how the thing was done. There's a spring lock on the door of Mr. Henley's apartment. Therefore, it would have been impossible for anyone to peep through the keyhole. There are no cracks through which one might see. How was this watch kept? How was the plotter to satisfy himself positively of the time when Mr. Henley was asleep? How was it the gas was put out at no time of the score or more nights Mr. Henley himself kept watch? Obviously, he was watched through a window. No one could climb out on the window ledge and look into Mr. Henley's apartments. No one could see into that apartment from the street. That is, could see where Mr. Henley was asleep or even in bed. 
they could see the light. Watch was kept with the aid offered by the flagpole, supplemented with a mirror. This mirror. A screw was driven into the frame. It has been removed now. It was swung on the flagpole rope and pulled out to the end of the pole, facing the building. To a man standing in the hall window of the third floor, it offered precisely the angle necessary to reflect the interior of Mr. Henley's suite. Possibly even showed him in bed through a narrow opening in the curtain. There is no shade on the windows of that suite. Heavy curtains instead. Is that right? Again, the prisoner was surprised into a mute acquiescence. I saw the possibility of these things, and I saw, too, that at three or four o'clock in the morning, it would be perfectly possible for a person to move about the upper halls of this house without being seen. If he wore a heavy bathrobe with a hood, say, no one would recognize him even if he were seen, and besides, the garb would not cause suspicion. This bathrobe has a hood. Now, in working the mirror back and forth on the flagpole at night, a tiny scarlet thread was pulled out of the robe and clung to the rope. I found this thread. Later, Mr. Hatch found an identical thread in these apartments. Both came from that bathrobe. Plain logic shows that the person who blew down the gas pipes worked the mirror trick. The person who worked the mirror trick left the thread. The thread comes back to the bathrobe. That bathrobe there, he pointed dramatically. Thus the person who desired Henley's death was in these apartments or had easy access to them. He paused a moment and there was a tense silence. A great light was coming to hatch, slowly but surely. The brain that had followed all this was unlimited in possibilities. Even before we trace the origin of the crime to this room, went on the scientist, quietly now, attention had been attracted here, particularly to you, Mr. Cabell. It was through the love affair of which Miss Lipscomb was the center. Mr. Hatch learned that you and Henley had been rivals for her hand, it was that, even before this scarlet thread was found, which indicated that you might have some knowledge of the affair, directly or indirectly. You are not a malicious or revengeful man, Mr. Cabell, but you are hot-tempered, extremely so. You demonstrated that just now, when, angry and not understanding, but feeling that your honor was at stake, you shot a hole in the floor. "'What?' said Detective Mallory. "'A little accident,' explained the thinking machine quickly. "'Not being a malicious or revengeful man, "'you are not the man to deliberately go ahead "'and make elaborate plans for the murder of Henley. "'In a moment of passion you might have killed him, "'but never deliberately as the result of premeditation. "'Besides, you are out of town.' Who was then in these apartments? Who had access to these apartments? Who might have used your bathrobe? Your valet? Possibly Miss Austin. Which? Now let's see how we reached this conclusion which led to the valet. Miss Renier was found dead. It was not suicide. How did I know? 
because she had been reading with the gaslight at its full. If she had been reading by the gaslight, how was it then that it went out and suffocated her before she could arise and shut it off? Obviously, she must have fallen asleep over her book and left the light burning. If she was in this plot to kill Henley, why did she light the jet in her room? There might have been some slight defect in the electric bulb in her room which she had just discovered. Therefore, she lighted the gas, intending to extinguish it, turn it off entirely, later. But she fell asleep. Therefore, when the valet here blew into the pipe, intending to kill Mr. Henley, he unwittingly killed the woman he loved, Miss Renier. It was perfectly possible, meanwhile, that she did not know of the attempt to be made that particular night. Although she had participated in the others, knowing that Henley had night after night sat up to watch the light in his rooms. The facts, as I knew them, showed no connection between Miss Renier and this man at that time, nor any connection between Miss Renier and Henley. It might have been that the person who blew the gas out of the pipe from these rooms knew nothing whatever of Miss Renier, just as he didn't know who else he might have killed in the building. But I had her death and the manner of it. I had eliminated you, Mr. Cabell. Therefore, there remained Miss Austin and the valet. Miss Austin was eccentric. Insane, if you will. Would she have any motive for killing Henley? I could imagine none. Love? Probably not. Money? They had nothing in common on that ground. What? Nothing that I could see. Therefore, for the moment, I passed Miss Austin by after asking you, Mr. Cabell, if you were Miss Austin. What remained? The valet. Motive? Several possible ones. One or two probable. He is French, or says he is. Miss Renier is French. Therefore, I had arrived at the conclusion that they knew each other as people of the same nationality will in a house of this sort. And remember, I had passed by Mr. Cabell and Miss Austin, so the valet was the only one left. He could use the bathrobe. Well, the motive. Frankly, that was the only difficult point in the entire problem. Difficult because there were so many possibilities. And each possibility that suggested itself suggested also a woman. Jealousy? There must be a woman. Hate? Probably a woman. Attempted extortion? With the aid of a woman. No other motive which would lead to so elaborate a plot of murder would come forward. Who was the woman? Miss Renier. Did Miss Renier know Henley? Mr. Hatch had reason to believe he knew her because of his actions when informed of her death. Knew her how? People of such relatively different planes of life can know each other, or do know each other, only on one plane. Henley is a typical young man, fast, I dare say, and liberal. Perhaps, then, there had been a liaison. When I saw this possibility, I had my motives. All of them. Jealousy, hate, and possibly attempted extortion as well. 
What was more possible than Mr. Henley and Miss Renier had been acquainted? All liaisons are secret ones. Suppose she had been cast off because of the engagement of a young woman of Henley's own level. Suppose she had confided in the valet here. Do you see? Motives enough for any crime, however diabolical. The attempts on Henley's life possibly followed an attempted extortion of money. The shot which wounded Henley was fired by this man, Jean. Why? Because the woman who had cause to hate Henley was dead. Then the man? He was alive and vindictive. Henley knew who shot him, and knew why, but he'll never say it publicly. He can't afford to. It would ruin him. I think probably that's all. Do you want to add anything? He asked of the valet. No, was the fierce reply. I'm sorry I didn't kill him, that's all. It was all about as you said, though God knows how you found it out, he added desperately. Are you a Frenchman? I was born in New York, but lived in France for eleven years. I first knew Louise there. Silence fell upon the little group. Then Hatch asked a question. You told me, Professor, that there would be no other attempt to kill Henley by extinguishing the gas. How did you know that? Because one person, the wrong person, had been killed that way, was the reply. For this reason, it was hardly likely that another attempt of that sort would be made. You had no intention of killing Louise Renier, had you, Jean? No. God help me, no. It was all done in these apartments, the thinking machine added, turning to Cabell. At the gas jet from which I took the tip. It had been only loosely replaced and the metal was tarnished where the lips had dampened it. It must take great lung power to do a thing like that, remarked Detective Mallory. You would be amazed to know how easily it is done, said the scientist. Try it sometime. The thinking machine arose and picked up his hat. Hatch did the same. Then the reporter turned to Cabell. Would you mind telling me why you were so anxious to get away tonight? He asked. Well, no, Cabell explained and there was a rush of red to his face. "'It's because I received a telegram from Virginia. Miss Lipscomb, in fact. Some of Henley's past had come to her knowledge, and the telegram told me that the engagement was broken. On top of this came the information that Henley had been shot, and I was considerably agitated.' The thinking machine and Hatch were walking along the street. What did you write in the note that you sent to Cabell that made him start to unpack? asked the reporter curiously. There are some things that it wouldn't be well for everyone to know, was the enigmatic response. Perhaps it would be just as well for you to overlook this little omission. Of course, of course, replied the reporter wonderingly. That's the end for this installment of Calm Mystery. Join us next time when we bring you another spine-tingling tale with toe-curling voices. 
relaxing tales of mystery, mayhem, and murder. That's Calm Mystery, from American Immersion Theater and the Murder Mystery Company. See you next time, unless you see me first. Thank you for listening to Calm Mystery, a Murder Mystery Company production. To solve your own case with us, visit MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, and use code CALM, C-A-L-M, for $20 off your own murder mystery party. We have dozens of entertaining detectives. You can even ask for me, Perry, by name. If no one else can help, and if they can find me, maybe I can help you become Detective of the Night. That's MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, code CALM.